let us now unite in prayer and ask the Lord his blessing over this worship service. Merciful God and Father, we thank you that you have established a covenant with the believers and their seed, and that you do not deal with us according to our transgressions. So we are joyful that this afternoon we may be gathered together for a second time to be reminded of your covenant faithfulness, to be reminded of the fact that you are the one who gathers his church, and that we, through grace, may belong to her. O Lord, you have made us part of your church in spite of our many sins. Our fall into sin was great, but the deliverance through the blood of your Son is much greater. It is a most wonderful miracle. Confirm us again this afternoon in our Catholic, undoubted Christian faith. Be with those who depart from your truth. Bring them back. Work in their hearts by your mighty spirit so that once again they may want to serve you in truth. Lord, we think especially of those members of this congregation who have been placed under discipline. Father in heaven, we know that it grieves you when those who have received the promise of your covenant scorn these promises. It also grieves us, O Lord, and help us to be effective instruments in your hands to bring about repentance, give insight into your word, and bless the office bearers who have to minister to those who are straying, give them wisdom, O Lord, and insight. And Father, grant that we may continue to show faithfulness here in this church, but that we may do it in compassion and in kindness and understanding. And Father, that in this way we may seek your will, your blessing, and the furtherance of your kingdom. Father in heaven, we ask you to be with Sister Hendricks, mother of Simon, Lord, who continues to be in the hospital with an undisclosed ailment. O Lord, will you bless the doctors and the medical staff. Lord, grant that they may discover what ails her so that also a remedy may be found. But Lord, her life and all of our lives is in your hands. And Father, we know that. Help us to trust in that as well. And also help Mrs. Hendricks to trust in that as well, and her husband and family. And Father, we thank you that we may know that you are the God of life. And Father, that you sustain life. We thank you that today Brother Coles Claveman can celebrate his birthday. Be with him, O Lord, as husband, as father, as grandfather, O Lord, and as member of this church. Continue to bless him and make him a blessing. And Father, we thank you for the mothers in our midst. It is through them that we receive life. It is through them that we receive nourishment. And through our mothers, we can experience your compassion and your love. O Lord, be with the mothers in our midst. Give them strength to perform their duties in their homes for the children that you have entrusted 
to them. Lord, you have given them a difficult task, but also a very beautiful task. Strengthen them that they may be able to nurture their children, especially in the fear of the Lord, especially that they may bring up to know you, Heavenly Father, as the only true God. And Father, make them a blessing and be with them. And Father, we thank you that this morning we could celebrate the Lord's Supper, that we could experience the forgiveness of sins through the sacrament as it is portrayed therein. We thank you that you give us that, be, that portrayal in this way that we may be reminded of the riches that we have through your Son, Jesus Christ. Bless the work of mercy which is done at home here in Canada and abroad. Grant, O Lord, that we may have the willingness and the means to grant relief to those who are suffering. Bless the work of manna. Bless all the work that is done in the mission field, also the mission aid work, O Lord. Be with the workers and their families, and be also with the airline pilots who fly, the missionaries and others to different destinations. Keep them safe, O Lord, and grant also your blessing on that ministry. And be with all of these people as they are away from their homes. Grant, O Lord, that they may experience your presence wherever they are. And Lord, bless all the outreach work that we do. And be also with the Home Commission Committee as it seeks ways and means to bring the gospel to those who have been estranged from it or who have never heard the gospel. Bless the work that is being done in preparation for vacation Bible school. Oh Lord, grant that also in this way we may further your kingdom and bless us as your people in our interaction with others that through our words and actions others may become curious about who you are and that in this way they may be led to you. Grant that we may lead lives of holiness so that others may be drawn to us. Father, bless us this afternoon as once again we listen to the preaching. Make us attentive and willing participants in the preaching. Be with him who has to bring the message. Be with us all. All this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Let us now read together from God's word as we find it in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 3. And then we will sing in response from hymn 49, stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. 
you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So that no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God.
Let us now read to together what we confess. First of all, what we confess in the Belgian Confession in Article 28. Page 512 of your Book of Praise. The heading there is everyone's duty to join the church. And there we find God's word summarized as follows. We believe since this holy assembly and congregation is the assembly of the redeemed and there is no salvation outside of it, that no one ought to withdraw from it, content to be by himself, no matter what his status or standing may be. But all and every one are obliged to join it and unite with it, maintaining the unity of the church. They must submit themselves to its instruction and discipline, bend their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ, and serve the edification of the brothers and sisters according to the talents which God has given them as members of the same body. To observe this more effectively, it is the duty of all believers, according to the word of God, to separate from those who do not belong to the church and to join this assembly wherever God has established it. They should do so even though the rulers and edicts of princes were against it and death or physical punishment might follow. All therefore who draw away from the church or fail to join it act contrary to the ordinance of God. And now let us read what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 21. And there we find God's word summarized as follows. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Christian Church? I believe that the Son of God, out of the whole human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, defends, and preserves for himself, by his spirit and word, in the unity of the true faith, a church chosen to everlasting life. And I believe that I am, and forever shall remain, a living member of it. What do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, all and every one, as members of Christ, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the benefit and well-being of the other members. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor my sinful nature against which I have to struggle all my life, but will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never come into condemnation. After the sermon, we will respond by singing from hymn 50 to stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, we just read from the Belgic Confession, which says that outside of the church there is no salvation. You may ask, do we actually believe that? Where do we get that from? Is that even biblical? 
Many people do not like that statement. It is too judgmental. In the ears of many, it sounds like we are saying that outside of the Canadian Reformed Church, there is no salvation. Indeed, jokes have been made about this. Jokes about us as Canadian Reformed people thinking that we will have our own separate little room there in heaven without being aware that others are there as well. And of course, we're somewhat embarrassed that others think that about us. We don't really believe that, do we? And so there are those who try to explain away the statement by making distinction here between the church as an assembly and the church as congregation or gathering. The church as assembly is man's work, but the church as congregation or gathering is God's work. And so the statement only refers to the second aspect, to the gathering work of God itself. It doesn't refer to the assembly, to what we do. But please note that this article right at the start equates assembly with congregation. In other words, they are one and the same. They are not to be distinguished from each other. Others do not really want to deal with this statement about only salvation through the church. They do not want to deal with that statement at all, thinking that, well, this is historically determined. It doesn't apply to us anymore. It relates to the time of Guido de Bre, when people wanted to remain in the Roman Catholic Church, even though they had become reformed in their thinking. And he wanted them to seek their salvation outside of that church. But that's not really an issue right now. We're free to worship where we can. And so they emphasize what is truly important, namely that we belong to Christ. As long as you believe in Christ, you will be saved. Isn't that what the Bible says as well? You must believe and then you will be saved. That's all there is to it. Church membership as such is not that important belonging to Christ is. But brothers and sisters, that's a false dilemma. Can you separate Christ from his church? I believe that we can't. Separating Christ from the church is like separating the head from the body, as if the head can exist without the body. It's impossible. Outside of Christ and outside of the church, there is no salvation. And that's also the theme for this afternoon's sermon. And so we will see that outside of the church there is no salvation. And this has to do in the first place with the nature of the church, in the second place with who the Lord Jesus is, and in the third place what the forgiveness of sins is all about. Outside of the church there is no salvation. If you're not a member of the church, you will not be saved. There seems to be an air of superiority about this. If you don't think as I do, and if you don't exactly have the same doctrines, then you are condemned. Is that what we mean? It sounds somewhat childish and immature, as if we're still babes in the faith who are only drinking milk and not yet 
eating solid food, as Paul says to the Corinthians. He berates the Corinthians for having exclusive groups among them, one being a follower of Paul, another of Apollos, and yet another of Cephas. Indeed, if we think that the church refers to some specific denomination, then we too would be wrong and in need of correction, just like the Corinthians were. And then if Paul were alive today, he would be right if he also severely chided us for our haughtiness and pride and for our limited way of thinking. If we think that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ refers only to my church or our church or even the church federation to which we belong, then we would be seriously wrong. Of course, we know that outside of our church there is salvation. We already confess that there are many believers in other churches. You can find them in the Roman Catholic Church and in the Greek Orthodox Church and the Baptist Church and in an Alliance Church and in all kinds of churches. Yet, we sometimes speak and act as if we're the only ones as if only the Canadian Reformed Church can save you. However, it is not a specific church group as such that saves you. As a matter of fact, no church saves you. That's not the function of the church. Only Christ can save you. The church is not like some exclusive club to which you belong. The church is not some organization of which you become a member such as a hockey club or a specific political party or any other organization which caters to your particular likes and aptitudes and hobbies. It is an assembly of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the church is. And you do not become a member of the church. When those young people last made profession of their faith, they did not become a full member of the church by their action. No, they were already a member of the church. All they did at that time is acknowledge that fact. Christ is the one who makes us a member of his church. It's his work. And he made us a member of his church before the foundation of the world. Look at what it says in the Catechism. We confess here that the Son of God gathers and defends and preserves a church chosen to everlasting life. He gathers the church. And outside of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. He has been gathering his church ever since the fall into sin. Right after the fall into sin, man began to call upon the name of the Lord. That's when he started gathering his church. And since then, churches have existed all over the world. Even in the Old Testament, the church was not restricted to Israel. We read of other believers who did not belong to the nation of Israel. And that's also what we confess here in the Heidelberg Catechism. We speak here about the church which has been gathered from the beginning of the world to its end. When the church was established in the New Testament, then the church was simply called the church at that particular place. The church at Corinth, for example, 
or the church at Rome, etc. The church as such did not have an adjective in front of it, such as Roman Catholic or Lutheran or Reformed. The Reformed church did not come into existence until the Reformation. And since then, it has been broken into many different kinds of Reformed churches and has all kinds of other adjectives in front of the word Reformed. And many other churches were established as well, the Anglican Church, the Alliance Church, Pentecostal Churches, etc. And God gathers his people from all those churches. That doesn't mean that we cannot make distinctions and that we should not place certain boundaries. It is not so that it doesn't matter where you go to church. Of course not. It matters very much. But that's not the point that I'm making here right now. We first have to realize that God gathers his people from all nations, from all peoples, and from all kinds of different churches. How are we to understand this? Well, Article 27 of the Belgian Confession says that the church is a holy congregation and assembly of true Christian believers. Peter says in his Pentecostal sermon in Acts 2 verse 21 that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. After he preached that sermon, we read that every day those who did so and who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ continued to meet together. But then we also read further about the development of the church. Attacks were made on the church. Heresies crept in. False prophets came along. And throughout the New Testament, we are warned about such things. Paul mentions the names of people who are heretics. And he mentions the specific heresies they proclaimed and even warned at times to have nothing to do with some of those people. Look at what the Lord Jesus himself said to the seven churches in Asia Minor. There were some very serious problems there. The one is lukewarm. The other has lost his first love. And yet another one tolerates certain heresies within it. He doesn't just pass over the differences between the churches and leave them alone. He doesn't say, well, people are different from each other and they have different practices. As long as they love the Lord, that's all that matters. No. And on the other hand, he doesn't mean either that we should have nothing to do with one another because of those differences and difficulties that exist. We should not pretend that those mistaken believers don't exist and have nothing to do with them. That's not the way it is either. And so, what exactly do we refer to when we refer to the church? Well, in preparation for this sermon, I read someone who compared the church to the sea with all its fish. I like that image. With the sea, he means all the oceans of the world. The oceans are not restricted to a certain geographic location. No, you find the ocean all over, just like the church. 
And the sea is not just a specific ocean or the Atlantic Ocean. No, it includes also the Mediterranean Sea and the North Sea and all the other oceans and seas all over the world. But some people want to create their own barriers. They built little dams and dikes to keep the ocean out. They want to stay to themselves. And they don't want to acknowledge that there is a bigger ocean out there with a lot more fish in the sea. And the water in which they live becomes stagnant and poisoned. And that is, of course, what sectarians do. They want nothing to do with other Christians who think a little bit differently from them and who represent a different culture or a different way of doing things. They just want to stay on their own. And in so doing, they add a little bit of poison to the water. And when you do that, then the fish are in danger of dying. And so you have to tell all those human fish to swing back to the ocean, away from the poison. There are also those who think that a little bit of poison doesn't kill anybody. You should be able to go wherever you like. Also there where the water is putrid, and when there is hardly any nourishment for the fish. And so we have to watch out for both extremes. We may not build walls or dikes where we shouldn't, nor should we tread in waters where slowly but surely we are choked to death. Or where we pick up so much poison that we, and if not we, at least our offspring become infected with all kinds of diseases and abnormalities, just like fish in polluted waters. But the point is that in order to stay alive, you have to be part of the ocean. Just like fish cannot exist outside of water, so a believer cannot exist outside of the church. Outside of the church, there is no salvation. Ultimately, the sea is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The Bible speaks about him as being the head of the church and we as the body. Head and body are closely related. They are attached to each other. And so outside of the church, there is no salvation. And therefore, outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no salvation either because the two belong together. That's the second point. Sometimes you hear someone say that he or she believes, but that he doesn't believe in organized religion. Doesn't want to go to church. He says, it's the people who poison the water. And so they think that they can stay out of the water altogether. It is, of course, true that people do poison the water. We all do. We do that by our sin. But you cannot exclude yourself from that as if you are exempt from that. No, we all need to be in the water, and we all need to be in clean water, and the only way that you can swim in clean water is through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through his blood that he cleanses you. And but you have to be in the same water as the rest of the fish. And that's also clear from the way that the Apostles' Creed is worded. It says, I believe a holy Catholic Church 
comma, the communion of saints. It doesn't say, I believe a holy Catholic church and the communion of saints. There's only a comma between those words. And not that little word, and. For it is not so that there is just a Catholic church and that beside the Catholic church, there is also a communion of saints. When you speak about the church, then you speak at the same time about the communion of saints. When the Lord Jesus gathered his church on earth, he didn't save just an individual here and an individual there. No, he came to the large crowds. He gathered whole groups of people around himself and he told his disciples, his apostles, to make disciples of all nations. The Catechism says that he gathers his church by his spirit and his word. The spirit and the word belong together. When the Lord Jesus spoke, he spoke the truth. And he spoke about wonderful things. He began his ministry by speaking about how scriptures have been fulfilled in him and that he is the one who would bind up the wounds that smarted. He would preach good news to the poor and proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the release of those oppressed, which is exactly what he did. He comforted those who weighed down, who were weighed down by their sins. He reached out to those who were rejected by society. He was gentle, he was kind. For he did more than just speak these words. He also acted in accordance with them. He healed the lame and the sick. He ate with prostitutes and tax collectors. He identified with the poor. In the world, in a word, he showed love in every way possible. He gave himself totally for others. He even gave his life. And we are Christians because of Christ. He taught us to have fellowship with others in love, in compassion, not just in words, but in deeds. If you think that you can be a Christian and belong to his church without putting other people into the picture, then you have no idea of what Christ is all about. And that you have no idea what it means to belong to his church. It's not like belonging to some club. It is not like having some spectator sport and you watch everybody interact, etc. No, you are part of that because of Christ. And if you think that his church is only for good and healthy people or for certain people with a certain hobby or aptitude and not for the poor and the oppressed and the lame and the handicapped and the disabled, then you are not thinking and acting in accordance with the head of the church. He includes all kinds of people in the church. And he especially reaches out 
to the weak and to the sinners. And therefore, so should we. Outside of his church, those people whom he gathered and to whom he reached out, there is no salvation. If you think that you are too good for those people that God gathers, or if you think that others are not good enough, then you have a very narrow sense of what the church is all about, and then you exclude those whom God does not. And you cannot remove yourself or others from his church. A Christian may not and cannot be on his own. For then you are like a fish out of water. A fish out of water dies. You may say, but it is so hard to love others. People can be so mean and so selfish and so unkind. Do you know what so-and-so did to me? Do you know what she said to me? Do you know how? And there you go. Sure, it's true. People can do mean things. But so can you. And so can I. And that is why it is such a wonderful thing that in speaking about the church this Lord's Day includes not just the communion of saints, but also the forgiveness of sins. We have no difficulty believing that the Lord Jesus forgive us, forgives us our sins. That is such a comforting doctrine for us. It is so wonderful to know that, as the Catechism says, the Lord Jesus will no more remember my sins. And this refers to every sin I have ever committed and will ever commit. How great it is to know that. How great it is to be sure about that. And we're also told that he also forgives us our sinful nature. We know from experience that we fall into the same sins time and again. We are just programmed to sin. And God will forgive us unconditionally. How wonderful. And that is why we embrace this doctrine of the forgiveness of sins. But here again, brothers and sisters, this doctrine is not just about what happens between us and the Lord Jesus, but also about what happens between us and others. When the Lord Jesus teaches us to ask for the forgiveness of sins, he connects that up right away to forgiving others as well. Forgive us our debts, our sins, as we also have forgiven our debtors, those who sin against us. Again, it is not just about the relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and myself, but it is also about the relationship that I have with others. And here again, we do not stand 
in isolation from one another. Outside of the church, there is no salvation. Do you know what the Lord Jesus asks from you and me here? That we give up our feelings of hurt and resentment and anger and disappointment for the sake of our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, if you want to be disappointed, if you want to be hurt, if you want to be resentful, then be hurt about what you have done, what you have done wrong, and what you continue to do wrong not just against the Lord God, but also against all those with whom you are in a relationship. Think about what Christ has done for you. And in that connection, also look at others. The forgiveness of sins is a wonderful doctrine. But with the forgiveness of sins, a cost is involved. There was a cost for the Lord Jesus, and there's also a cost for you and for me. But what it costs us to forgive others is nothing compared to what it costs the Lord Jesus to forgive you and me. He was without sin. And yet he took all the insult and hatred and anger upon himself without retaliating. He passively accepted our fate as rejects because of our sin. And then he went like a sheep to slaughter. Some people do not want to be part of the church because of the sins of others, because they're not good enough, and they point fingers, except at themselves. This morning we celebrated the Lord's Supper. Did you notice that we did that together and not as individuals? That is because that is how the Lord Jesus instituted it. He instituted the Lord's Supper already with his disciples in the same room. He did this in fellowship with them. And, he did, and they did this in fellowship with each other. And that is why you did not stay home this morning and celebrate the Lord's Supper just with your family or by yourself. Taking a little piece of bread and a sip of wine at the kitchen table. How meaningless that would have been, wouldn't it have? No, we came together to celebrate. We ate and we drank at the same time to symbolize the unity that we have with our Lord and Savior and the unity that we have with one another. Outside of the church, there is no salvation. Outside of the church, you do not have a life with Christ. It's impossible. Look around you, brothers and sisters. Through faith, all of your brothers and sisters have the forgiveness of sins. Through faith, we all have fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And through faith, we have fellowship with one another. It cannot be otherwise. And it's only here in the church that we can be as healthy as fish. It is only here in the church that you can find true life.
eternal life. And that's what we seek together. Amen.